the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With Chinese tourists and traders who bring back goods to sell in the mainland. This and earlier protests against an extradition bill have a common refrain. Hong Kong's government is not addressing citizens' concerns. The city's leader, Carrie Lam, has pledged to listen to the people. But many protesters want her to resign. I'm Charles de Ledesma. Today is Sunday, July the 14th. It is the 195th day of 2019. On this date in history, 1789. Citizens of Paris stormed the Bastille prison and released seven prisoners inside, beginning the French Revolution. More on these stories at townhall.com. Larry Elder. I know where his heart is. Uh, Joe doesn't feel that way at all. Hey, I know where his heart is, says Clyburn, and Sharpton says, hey, people sometimes say things that don't really reflect what they are. You he know? may say things that doesn't reflect what he really means. Well, right. We must prove that to people. But zero tolerance for Trump. Weeknights at 6 on AM 860. The answer. Once upon a time, customers would find your business with this big, thick book full of phone numbers and competitors' phone numbers. It was a heavy, cumbersome, yellowish-looking thing. You'd place your ad in the book and hope customers would call. Hello? Now, there's Salem Surround, delivering customers with targeted digital marketing. Get started with a free evaluation of your digital presence and great ideas to increase your online visibility and revenue. Learn more at surroundtampa.com. Surroundtampa.com. Connecting you with new customers. Oh, wow. It can't be. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, where have you been? If you snore, the first time you use mute can be quite an experience. <laughs> I can breathe. I can breathe. Snoring can happen when your nose is blocked, forcing you to breathe through your mouth. Mute is a comfortable nasal breathing device designed to increase airflow through the nose by gently opening the airways. (laughs) Thanks to Mute, you get all the air you need through your nose and not your mouth, which means less snoring and more chance of sleep. That's the best night I've had in years. In trials, 75% of couples reported a reduction in snoring when using Mute. Available at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid and other fine stores. To find your local store or for more information, go to MuteSnoring.com. Mute. Breathe more. Snore less. Sleep better. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. AM860, The Answer. Dot com, and we have a great show for you this morning. 
uh, got a couple of special guests, and we're going to talk about medical marijuana and their experience with it, and I'll give you some of my thoughts on it as we go. And I also wanted to say that I'm uh, not surprised to see that the Democrats are having problems with their uh, junior freshman congresswomen, and I think that we have to consider that there's a lot of anger on the left, and I'm not sure where it all comes from. It's a very emotionally driven situation, but let's hope that some of the senior members of their party can calm down some of that uh, angst and uh, anger, and let's do some productive things here. I'm, I'm really behind this president. What a great job he's doing, and uh, I just have nothing but praise for him and for the people around him who are trying very hard to be supportive. So with that, we'll jump into our show this morning, and I've got two guests, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring them on and let them introduce themselves, and we'll get started on this and see what we can figure out about medical marijuana. Who we got? Hey, good morning, Dr. Bill. Good morning. Who's this? Hi, this is Seth Ginsberg calling. I'm the co-founder of the Global Healthy Living Foundation and Creaky Joints, our arthritis patient community. Seth, I, was, I went to your website. Uh, it looks pretty good, but you need to put some pictures of, uh, of uh, people with arthritic joints on there. I think people, the public would like to know and see what it's like to live with that. You mean the gnarled hands and the grandmother's hips and things like that? Yeah, things like that. <laughs> things like that, exactly. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, especially when we're dealing with uh, a disease like juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, folks, if you don't know, rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. That means that our body attacks our own tissues. And in the case of uh, rheumatoid arthritis, like juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, the joints are attacked, the cartilage and the bone, and there's destruction. Uh, because we make antibodies to our own tissues, our our immune system gets a little bit confused, and then uh, the uh, killer cells and the and the garbage men they come in and try and eat up the joint uh, tissues that have been attacked by the antibodies, and this causes severe deformity, pain, and uh, disability, and so we're we're dealing with a, a real serious problem, especially when it's in youngsters, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis is just a devastating disease, and I, I, my heart goes out to anybody who has this. Fortunately, it's very uncommon, but it is a reality, and we're going to talk about that this morning and how we can help people with this and, and how we can give them some relief from their pain and their disability. Seth, how, how did you get into this? I take it you're a rheumatoid child. I, I am, uh, except my I was diagnosed with a form called spondylarthropathy at the age of 13, uh, so a, a little more um, manageable or milder form of arthritis, but still a childhood uh, form of arthritis. And then uh, when I was a first-year student at uh, college, I was in the middle of the night in my dorm room feeling miserable, and I wondered, where's everyone else going through something similar? And so I got out of bed, I emailed my former internship boss, and in one sentence I said, there's got to be a way to bring people together in a positive environment where we could share strength and experience. And fortunately, when he woke up that morning, 
He said, I'd like to become a social entrepreneur. How about we do this together? And that day, Creepy Joints became a website. And this October will mark our 20th anniversary. Uh, we've reached tens of millions of people worldwide with positive messages all about living with arthritis. Uh, we focus on education, support, advocacy, and research. And I'm also proud to say in those 20 years, to your point, Dr. Bill, um, these complex forms of arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, where the body mistakes itself and begins attacking itself, um, it have effectively been um, addressed using these new biologics and new, new medicines that trick your body and your, auto, your immune system uh, and reprogram it using live proteins and, and other biological agents that are able to effectively allow people to live a completely normal life despite having some of these crippling conditions. So when we got started with creaky joints, um, if you had RA, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you had a, a decent chance of being admitted to a hospital. I mean, it just got that bad. And today you uh, have as good a chance of winning your local um, golf or tennis or bowling championship uh, as anything else because you could live that normal life. And that's, that's to the credit of, of the advances of, of science and, and medicine. Yeah, the uh, the biologics, uh, the in particular the monoclonal antibodies or genetically engineered antibodies that will block various pathways in the inflammatory process, and and it's also be being used for other diseases. And as a lot of you guys know, I have migraine headaches, and I've started on the Amavig, which is Irunamab. Mab is the monoclonal antibody. Uh, letters that is put at the end of all of these biologics that are being developed and these are developed in the lab and uh, what the what the monoclonal antibody does for me is it blocks the the chemical that uh, uh, attacks the membrane around my brain and causes me to have the migraine headaches and it's really a miracle drug now these these monoclonal antibodies can be used to calm down uh, white blood cells called lymphocytes. They can be used to block uh, antibodies that are trying to attack your own body. There's a number of ways in which these work. And as well, there are other agents that have come out that are uh, also very effective in fighting autoimmune diseases. So Seth is right. This is a, a, a new era and a new generation. And it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to see how people who... 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago would have been uh, completely disabled, uh, uh, living in misery, uh, lead normal, healthy lives because of the science that, is, that has come along in the past 20 to 30 years. Great stuff, Seth, and I love it. And uh, I'm, yeah. grateful, I'm grateful for what I have. So you started off with your arthritis when you were 13, and uh, I take it fortunately you were able to get into the monoclonal antibody studies early on? Well, I personally wasn't. Um, I, I, I was managed quite well with a cocktail of other disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. Um, and, you know, my approach to medicine, is, as most uh, folks would agree, is um, a conservative one that, you know, I, I turn to my doctors and, and their advice. And, and generally, the rule of thumb is you want to take the least amount of medicine that you need to feel better. And as long as you and your doctor agree on what the definition of feel better means, um, then, then that's the path to pursue. So 
Uh, I, I must, uh, I, I'll just echo your point, Dr. Bill. Um, my wife, having um, terribly disabling migraines, um, also has, uh, is now open to a whole new generation of medicines. Um, you know, I, I kind of quip from time to time about uh, the fact that there's no better time to have these conditions, RA, migraines, and others, than today, except maybe for tomorrow. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's something like two dozen new migraine drugs in the pipeline and development that, that pick up on some of these new um, pathways uh, and then many others for uh, autoimmune diseases. Um, science is really accelerating and we are, you know, finally figuring out how, how to, to um, reverse the tide for, for some of the debilitating conditions that we live with. And that lets us be normal and that lets us live normal lives. And, and really, that's that's an amazing thing. So. Um, I'm very happy to be a part of that process as an organization that represents folks who rely on these different types of treatments to enable them to first learn about them. I think that's important, but then empower folks to raise their voice, to, you know, speak both to their doctor as well as to folks like their insurance company or maybe their employer or even the government about the impact of the condition on their lives and the, the need to manage them with these treatments that, um, you know, it's, 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 that's what advocacy is at the end of the day, is, is uh, helping people to, to find their voice. And uh, that's, that's what we've had a long track record of, of doing. Well, there's two things. One is uh, the least amount of medicine. Now, if we consider beer medicine, does that mean that I should limit it to one or two a night? Or is that, does that not hold true for beer? What? Six packs. <laughs> the next thing is that, and this is more serious, is that, uh, it takes a lot of work on the part of the doctors to uh, get approval for these biologic drugs because they're so expensive. And I, I think that one thing that your your organization should do is push the uh, the government and the insurance companies uh, to to ease up on some of these ridiculous uh, hurdles that they put us through. And it really it takes weeks and sometimes months to get approval for for simple things like uh, Amavig for migraine headaches. Absolutely, and, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. They're expensive too. You know, they are extremely expensive. They are, but you know what? So is your entire life getting derailed. So is the cost of disability if you can't work anymore. So is a hospital visit if your disease activity flares. So. When you think about the cost of a drug in the context of the cost of the condition and the lifetime of it, it's actually a very small percentage. And, you know, full disclosure, we, we are uh, sponsored by manufacturers, um, pharmaceutical companies in a hands-off, you know, arm's length manner. But we're also, you know, drug agnostic. We don't care what drug we're talking about. We just care about the drug that you and your doctor see fit. And so if I'll, I'll just put one quick plug in for our 50-state network, and that's number 50statenetwork.org, um, which has a, a really awesome Florida delegation. And this is state-by-state -state opportunities for people with all kinds of chronic conditions to get involved in advocacy. And we have lots of resources. Mm -hmm. To your point, fail first and step therapy and prior authorization, all these hoops we have to jump through as patients for our insurance companies. Um, the 50 state network has provided lots of and created lots of resources for folks to utilize so that they can have e even footing when dealing with their insurance companies. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, I need to plug that important resource. Yeah. And th this is uh, the kind of advocacy that we really need in this age of, uh, 
cost containment. It's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, the the, the uh, guys that uh, and the the investors that have bought up these HMOs and have made hundreds of millions and billions of dollars on them. And I know because I've got a family in our neighborhood who sold their uh, clinics uh, to a bigger outfit and, you know, got 130, 140 million. And that's just for a local company here. So the money is going not to the patients, but into the pockets of the people who, who realized the government had created another boondoggle. And, uh, and, you know, people are getting extremely rich off of these HMOs, and they're the gatekeepers, along with these pharmaceutical management companies. And uh, it, it, it's, really, uh, it's really unfortunate that we have to do so much to get what I consider now basic medical care. I mean, I, I think that the use of a biologic for something like migraines or rheumatoid arthritis is and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go through the hoops and get all the blood tests and take the history and get the physical and do all the workup that's necessary to prove that this is actually rheumatoid arthritis or that this is actually especially with migraines because they're they're a little bit uh, tricky to to diagnose uh, but at the same time I don't think that it should be as difficult as it is and it's a shame to see the money that should be going to patient care going into the pockets of uh, businessmen and and I'll just say that that's not a red state or blue state issue. That's not a Republican or a Democrat issue. That's an American issue. And our healthcare system, really putting politics aside, is not becoming of a first world country. And on the one hand, we've got all the innovation and science you could ever imagine, and then some. And on the other hand, we all lack well, many of us lack access to it for no good reason. And so uh, that's part of the reason why Global Healthy Living Foundation, GHLF, exists. And obviously, hope, unfortunately, I should say, is part of the reason we're going to be around for a while. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, but I'm glad to have this conversation and maybe um, kind of pivot over to, to a, another area of our healthcare system that lacks um, a lot of the information that we need and, and something that I think is, is very uh, much discussed but not very well understood, and that's the use of marijuana and CBD to treat some of these conditions. Well, it's, a, it's a, a certainly an inflammatory issue for some people, uh, and I think that the, the, the problem that, that I've run into when I look at medical marijuana is that it's a shotgun approach to some very specific problems like chronic pain and anxiety. And uh, I think that if we can uh, find a way to target receptor sites that are just uh, related to the pain or to the anxiety levels involved with some of these chronic diseases, then in my opinion, it would be a better medication. But now you've obviously had some experience with this. Uh, I've, I've lived on the street for a couple of years, so I saw what marijuana did to, to a number of my friends and uh, contemporaries who are basically, uh, they were very talented people who had wasted away their lives. Uh, but uh, that's not to say there are not therapeutic benefits to is just that I, I think there are a lot of questions that have to be answered. 
That's the point, and that's that's really what I want to say today. Um, so what we did is our organization, we have a, an app called Arthritis Power. It's a free downloaded app that uh, I encourage folks to check out. It's a research registry that lets you track your uh, outcomes, how you're feeling and what you're doing, and allows us to, to pulse out some really important research topics. And the, the one we did most recently uh, was about patients, people with arthritis perception and use of medical marijuana. And we asked over a 1,000 patients, people with arthritis, 1,059 of them, about their experiences. And we found that more than half of these patients, 57%, have tried either medical marijuana or CBD products for medical reasons. And of those who use marijuana regularly, 62% use it every day. And what this tells us is that it's a lot more ubiquitous and people are using it a lot more often than I think even the medical community. And this was really results that we wanted to present to the medical community to help them understand what's happening with their patients. But the whole point of this study and the, 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 the outcome of it is it begs the need to do more research. Because marijuana and, and CBD are uh, C are Schedule One substances, which means they're classified in the same manner as heroin. Um, they are. It is very difficult to study. There, there are, are lots of restrictions, and the typical approaches to research, medical research, like clinical trials um, and, and investigator-initiated studies and things like that are not permitted. They're not allowed, and therefore we don't know anything. We don't have any really good data that shows in any uh, structured way the effect of uh, these drugs. And we need that. And I think that, uh, you know, understanding that um, there are benefits as well as drawbacks to the use of all medicines, all drugs, as well as alcohol and a lot of other things, um, to carve out marijuana and CBD as uh, substances that don't have any uh, substantial medical or scientific data behind it, I think it's just, it's just insane. It, it, it doesn't speak again to that first world status that I think our, our country deserves and, and has earned in other areas. And so um, this study basically showed us the need to do more research, and, and that's what we're advocating for the opportunity to do. Well, part of the problem is that there's just not that much interest in it. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, uh, y yes, you have to get approval to do the studies, but you also have to have funding. And uh, in order to have funding, you have to have drug companies that are interested in this, uh, and have some some uh, endpoint, some reason to go and and do this research and develop a, a medication. Uh, we've we've kind of put the cart before the horse in this country by saying, well, let's just go ahead and legalize it, and uh, we don't really know everything about it. And I've even talked to legislators, state and federal legislators. Uh, of course, they're lawyers, and they don't know anything about medicine. And they think that uh, marijuana is harmless, and why can't we go ahead? And these are Republicans, too. Why can't we just go ahead and legalize it? Well, it's not harmless. <laughs> I can tell you that. I mean, I've lived on the street, and, and I've seen what it's done to people. It is a gateway drug, and that doesn't mean that it doesn't have a, a therapeutic benefits, 
But let's look at morphine after the Civil War. It was developed to help women in labor and also to help the guys with the phantom pain after they lost their arms or legs in our Civil War in the 1860s. By the way, that's the same time period in which the intravenous uh, route of medication administration was developed. And so a lot of these guys between 1865, 1870, and 1900, they were given uh, unlimited supplies of morphine. And they were taught how to inject themselves and give themselves needles and syringes. And uh, then in 1910, the country turned around and said, wait a minute, we've got an epidemic of, uh, of uh, narcotic abuse in our country. And that precipitated our Food and Drug Administration and the whole classification of Category 1, uh, 2, 3, 4, 5 uh, medications that are scheduled uh, that have to be written by prescription. And perhaps we've gone too far the other way, but by the same token, we're in a similar situation with marijuana where everybody is legalizing it and it's available all over the place, and uh, uh, yet we really don't have any science about it. I mean, we, we do have science about the effects on teenagers, on uh, performance, on goal orientation. We, we know what it does to a number of receptor sites in the body, and we know that the uh, uh, cannabinoid receptors are fairly ubiquitous in the human body, not just in the brain. So there's there's a lot that we do know about it. But again, I think that we've put the cart before the horse here. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that, you know, we need to know more. We need to know more, um, make more uh, informed regulatory and policy decisions. Uh, we need to know more um, for the sake of understanding how this um, fits into a larger treatment profile. Um, and this is across lots of conditions. We're talking about musculoskeletal arthritis pain. Uh, we could move into, um, you know, anxiety and depression. We could move into, um, you know, uh, sleeplessness uh, and, and, um, and, and several other conditions, uh, Crohn's and, and et cetera. But, uh, to, without that data, how does one meaningfully uh, and safely integrate these uh, therapeutic approaches into a larger treatment profile? And the answer is we don't know. And to your point, which is an excellent one, it's a shotgun approach, uh, and that is worrisome. And, you know, there's a lot of self-medicating, which is also worrisome. And, uh, you know, I think that we, we certainly could do a lot better. And that's why we, we just need more research, I think, at the end of the day. And we need to research marijuana the way we research any medicine. And that is very diligently with very structured protocol, something called randomized clinical trials. Um, and, and then we need to publish the data in peer-reviewed journals, uh, and then move into, you know, what, what to do with that from a, a regulatory and policy standpoint. But right now, um, to just open the floodgates and assume everything is, is good, I think, is a, is a really misinformed approach that, you know, we certainly don't advocate for um, because we just need to know a lot more about it. And that's exactly what our, our arthritis power uh, research results uh, demonstrated very clearly. Yeah, there, there's, there is research, but uh, again, 
there's not the directed research uh, for medical conditions because it, it it's not going to be very profitable for drug companies when somebody can just go out on the street or go down to their doctor's office and, and get some marijuana or get some uh, get some of the uh, cannabinoid oils. Ed. But they research it started back in the 1960s and in 88, the fattening sites in rat brains for uh, cannabinoids were identified. Uh, the receptor site in the humans was cloned in 91. Uh, there were receptors found in the immune system in 93 and uh, it, it's so it's an ongoing process and there is a lot of, of basic uh, pharma, biochemical research that has already been done so we know a lot about the receptor sites where they work and how they work but again uh, I mean how you gonna uh, how you gonna convince a drug company like uh, um, Amgen or or uh, Eli Lilly or Bristol Meyer to do something with this if there's nothing in it for them if they're competing with you know the 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 guy on the street who's or Joe down at the corner drugstore who's selling cannabinoids I mean there's there's really no uh, we we've I think we have uh, deregulated this too quickly and we now are in a situation where we are going to have a hard time doing double-blinded, placebo-controlled crossover trials to see if this stuff works, how it works, and who, you know, what what uh, pathological conditions it actually works for. The only thing I've seen so far that it does, in a real medical sense, other than relieve pain and anxiety, is it helps with the Lennox-Gestalt uh, seizure disorder, which is a childhood seizure disorder, epileptic disorder, that is so rare and uh, has such a, a, a limited, uh, I mean, you just don't see that. Even as a pediatrician, you rarely see that. Uh, so th that's a good drug for that and, and uh, allowed the researchers who discovered that, and I think that that's the way to go with that, with that uh, seizure disorder at this point in time. We also know that it will that the cannabinoids will lower the intraocular pressure in the eyeball, and this will help with glaucoma, but... My God, are you going to smoke a joint five times a day to get your eye pressure down? Let's just make some drops that are acting locally, and, and that way we don't want to have people driving around, especially old people who can't see, stoned on marijuana driving on our streets. And that's a big problem in St. Pete, Florida. we got a big I, population I, of older people. I totally agree. And I, I think that your your reservations are, are spot on, and um, and, I, and I'd agree with them. My other, I'd add to that, my my second and equally large concern is around quality control, and with this swift deregulation uh, or state based uh, policy changes that are in, uh, enabling the sale of these products, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people also selling snake oil, and we got a lot of people. Who are importing um, compounds that are here uh, that are now on the market, and we have no way of judging or measuring or testing uh, their quality, and and that's very concerning as well, especially when we're talking about vulnerable populations, people that are seeking relief and who will turn uh, in any direction for it, um, who are like I said, so vulnerable. So um, we've got a lot of issues here. All of them are. Uh, surmountable. I think all of them can be addressed, but 
uh, it takes conversations like this, which is why I'm so excited that um, that you're having and hosting this conversation, Dr. Bill. Um, I, I also want to uh, introduce um, someone that's very special to uh, our community and who is pivotal in this particular study. Um, Ken, are you on? Yes, I am. I've been doing all the talking. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, well, what I'm going to do, guys, is uh, because my whistle's uh, needing a little wetting, is I'm going to go grab a cup of Joe, and we come back, we'll bring in our second guest, and we'll continue this conversation, which is very stimulating and fun. And, uh, and by the way, I am as cute as I am uh, chatty. So hang on. I'm Dr. Bill, and I'll be right back. You're on 860 AM, WGUL. With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. A strong shallow earthquake has struck eastern Indonesia's Maluku province, causing panic in several cities and villages. There are no reports of casualties or damage, however. The U.S. Geological Survey says the magnitude 7.3 quake was centered about 100 miles southeast of the provincial capital at a depth of just 6 miles. President Trump is urging Gulf Coast residents to be careful as Tropical Storm Barry continues dropping rain around the region. In a Sunday morning tweet, Mr. Trump says, quote, a big risk of major flooding in large parts of Louisiana and all across the Gulf Coast. Please be very careful. And power is back on in Manhattan after last night's outage affecting 73,000 customers, more than uh, three hours along a 30-block stretch from Times Square to 72nd Street and Broadway. This is SRN News. Once upon a time, customers would find your business with this big, thick book full of phone numbers and competitors' phone numbers. It was a heavy, cumbersome, yellowish-looking thing. You'd place your ad in the book and hope customers would call. Hello? Now, there's Salem Surround, delivering customers with targeted digital marketing. Get started with a free evaluation of your digital presence and great ideas to increase your online visibility and revenue. Learn more at surroundtampa.com. Surroundtampa.com. Connecting you with new customers. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, Seven two seven three eight four six four one one seven two seven three eight four six four one one. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments, so call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. 
This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. In campaigning for president, Joe Biden faces a difficult dilemma. If he moves left to placate his party's increasingly socialistic base, he'll lose the moderate support he needs to challenge Donald Trump. But if he runs as a compromising centrist, enraged party progressives will block his nomination. The problem is that satisfying progressives require such radical positions like racial reparations, forgiving student loans, and banning private health insurance that middle-of-the-road voters won't be reassured by an easygoing style. If the election becomes a referendum on a stridently leftist Democratic platform, Republicans should be able to build a big majority in opposition. I'm Michael Medved. Religious liberty is under attack. Alliance Defending Freedom is on the front lines of defense, fighting for those whose liberty is being violated. Check the ad at townhallreview.com. Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, welcome to the show. Uh, we're talking today about uh, the Creaky Joint website, and I'm with Seth. And Seth, who's our other partner that's with us today? Hi, Ken Snyder. You want to introduce yourself? Yes, hi. My name is Ken Sidnor Campbell, and I am an arthritis sufferer. I was uh, diagnosed at adult onset. I was 40 years old, and I had just completed a triathlon, my my first triathlon, and uh, a month later, I was curled up into a ball, unable to walk, uh, unable to move, and wondering what in the world was wrong with me. And so since my diagnosis, I have been on multiple medications, uh, DMARDs, TNF blockers. I actually had the deformities start in my hands and fingers and one of the medications that I was on totally reversed it. What it couldn't do was reverse the damage that had already been done and permanently in the rest of my body. So imagine that I was just kind of working through all those little pains that were letting me know something was wrong, just attributing it to, you know, working out and, and being an athlete. So uh, I was definitely not someone who was expecting to be chronically ill at any point in my life. Um, well, see, that's the problem with working out. You should just sit at home like I do and drink beer and <laughs> watch TV, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't watch... believe it, but <laughs> even if you do that. So since it's in the blood, I know, you know, um, a lot of people don't know that uh, those little symptoms that they have are actually symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, a lot of people who have family members and, and family members, including for me, finding out, I mean, I knew my dad had it, but he had such a mild version that I could not compare what I had to what he had. And knowing that my grandmother on my mother's side uh, had lupus, I, you know, it was not something that she complained about. So I didn't know there was nobody that I knew that was suffering the way I was. Um, so after being on multiple medications and actually being on opiate medications for the last five years, um, I've actually just been certified uh, for medical marijuana in the state of Pennsylvania. And I, I want to talk that. a little bit. Is Pennsylvania Sorry? still part of the union? Are you guys still in the union or did you <laughs> secede? 
Oh, no, that's nope. California. I'm sorry. That's, yeah, that's California. So well, Pennsylvania. Let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me interject here. Uh, folks, the, the adult-onset rheumatoid arthritis, uh, probably the most common early symptoms are going to be stiff hands and stiff joints in the morning that gets better with activity. Uh, you can have a flu-like syndrome that precedes the uh, actual onset of rheumatoid arthritis. It can affect the wrist, the ankles, and even uh, uncommonly knees, hips, back. Uh, more commonly, it's small to medium-sized joints, and it can also affect your lungs. It can affect your heart. Uh, it can affect a, a number of organ systems in the body. It can add to things like uh, clogged arteries in the heart and many strokes in the brain. So it's a serious disease. Uh, it has multiple systemic effects. And if you think that you might be developing this, the best thing is to get in and see a doctor and uh, get diagnosed. And if you do have this problem, get on some disease-modifying agents. These are agents that will slow down or stop the progression of the disease. The earlier you do it, the better. Also, if you are an athlete, I strongly advise you not to do weight-bearing activity. Ride a bicycle. Get a low-impact stepper. Do these kinds of things so that you preserve your joints. Gravity and jogging and uh, jarring your joints, whether you have rheumatoid arthritis or not, will certainly, in most instances, decrease the lifespan of your joints over long periods of time. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, absolutely. Everything that you said is exactly what happened to me. Um, I ignored all those little pains, just attributing it to the fact that I was athletic, not the fact that I was 40 years old. And uh, eventually being able to um, get back to even walking uh, did not happen until after I had both of my knees replaced. So we're talking about... Uh, you know, just being extremely active to not being able to be active at all. And even while I've been on opiate medications for all these years, there's still a level of pain that is not being addressed, even by the opiates. And the opiates, you know, they definitely help, but I don't want to go to a point where I need more, which means then I'll need more and more and more and get to the end of the line with that. So when they opened up this state for uh, medical marijuana and I immediately qualified, uh, I was able to get my doctors who work at a university. And so maybe it's university hospitals that are gonna be able to do the research and not necessarily the, uh, or at least the beginnings of the research and not necessarily the, the uh, pharmaceutical industry because the research that needs to happen can happen, uh, especially on places like research, you know, research uh, medical uh, universities and having everything on my permanent, you know, record. I, I purposely have all of my doctors in one area so that even as I'm beginning to, and I haven't gone to get it yet, but even if I begin to take uh, the either marijuana uh, medical marijuana pill form or using the ointments and lotions, uh, I think that having that as a part of my record to see if, if I get any better, it, even though it's anecdotal evidence, it is evidence that I've experienced something different than what I did when I started opiates, you know? So that well, is my hope. 
Well, the, 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 you know, I, I, it's a great idea to think that the universities can do this research, but remember that they also have to have funding. And a, a big part of any medical school research department or biological research department is being able to find funding. And you either get funding from the government or you get it from private industries like pharmaceutical companies. And it's it's got to be something that is germane, that it's going to have uh, an impact either financially for the pharmaceutical company or from the government's point of view will affect a, a, a great number of lives. And they usually have a cutoff of 50,000 life years when they're dealing with um, uh, new research and, and, and new devices and new medications. So there's, there's more to it than just saying that we hope that the universities will do the research. They got to get funding too. So this is something that you're going to have to be an ad advocate for. And certainly your experience with medical marijuana could be a good voice to help your university get some funding. But what you need to do is you need to team up with one of the researchers and with that researcher, explore the avenues that are available for funding for these research projects. You've got to hire research assistants. You've got to have laboratory. You've got to pay patients to come in and, and participate. You have to have pharmacists involved. It's their double-blind, placebo-controlled. You have to go through the ethics committee at the university. I mean, it's, a, it's really a big deal, and it involves dozens, if not hundreds, of people, and that's before you even get to the patient. So uh, yeah. it's, it's a tough situation. And again, when you already have put the card out front and cannabinoids are available all over the place, you might run into some problems. But uh, I would say pursue it and, and pursue it with the idea that you're going to have to get funding first. You know, one of the other things that, speaking of money, uh, one of the things that's happened is the growth of the medical marijuana industry or legalized or whatever the states, you know, have been receiving tons and tons of money because people are flocking to this form of medication. Uh, there are some um, dispensaries that are making millions and actually have money to put into research and are interested in putting money into research, but it's going to require that the federal government uh, take the schedule one off in order for them to be able to start that. So that no, that's not true. You know, it, you, it, does, it can, you can do research on schedule one drugs. You just have to go through the right process. You have to go through the, uh, the, the, uh, applications and the new drug, uh, applications. And I'm, I'm looking at all of that and have been for the past few weeks because of a toenail anti-toenail Antifungal toenail gel I've developed. <laughs> Anti-toenail. Anti-antifungal. Yeah, I think my toenails have been smoking pot, so they're a little confused <laughs> this morning. But uh, <laughs> but uh, there, you, you can do this. It, it's very doable, and the federal government would love to have people do the proper research. But you have to go through the hoops, and the hoops yeah. are again there. They're extensive. They're extensive. Exactly. And it takes time. It takes money. It takes people that want to sit down and write these things. And mm -hmm. um, you, it's, there's a lot to do. 
and the reason that this study was even uh, created by Creaky Joints, I, I was a I'm I just rotated off. I was a member of their patient governors group. I'm also a member of their patient partners in research. And what we were asking is, what kind of things are is the uh, the RA community interested in? And that's why it was so interesting to see that exactly what we were experiencing because I had any number of people tell me that that's what I needed to try, but I'm not one of those people who's willing to try just anything. So being able to get it through my doctor's office was very important to me. But the fact that there are a number of people, like you said, the cart before the horse that are already trying it and saying that they're having some success should say something. Yeah, and and I think it does. And uh, uh, the rheumatoid arthritis and the autoimmune arthritis, uh, like uh, psoriatic arthritis and lupus arthritis and different autoimmune diseases, these are really devastating diseases. And if you look at a lot of the state legislatures that have put put significant restrictions on the use of narcotic analgesics like Percocet and Vicodin and morphine. The, uh, the caveat they carve out is for terminal cancer pain and for rheumatoid arthritis pain that the doctors can be much more liberal in their prescription writing. So there's no doubt that this is the population that it would be beneficial for if there is an opportunity here. Uh, the other problem that we're running into is that a lot of the legalization has been pushed by lawyers, and the lawyers are investing heavily in marijuana farms and marijuana processing, and they're nothing but greedy SOBs, and they're making money off of this. So we've got two problems. One is the greed factor, uh, again, putting the cart before the horse. These guys want to make money, and they're doing it like Morgan & Morgan. And then the other is the problems that we're discussing now. So where do we go from here? Um, you know, I think we're, we're, we've done a good job articulating the issues. <laughs> uh, and there are clearly a few of them. And I, I think that uh, to your listeners, to, to the, uh, the Florida audience especially, but to, to folks around the country, um, you know, we, we want to first and foremost inform, you know, we have to all understand what's going on and the complexities of this issue. And then the second thing, uh, and to come back to this study I mentioned that we just did, um, 65%, about two thirds of people reported telling their doctor about their marijuana or CBD use, which means one out of three people didn't. And I think it's really important to stress that point in terms of having an open communication with your doctor, your primary care doctor, your specialist, all of your doctors for that matter. They won't judge, but they have to be informed as to what you're doing at home to help yourself medically and have the conversation with them. Allow them to be involved in this so that we as patients are not medicating ourselves without any medical authority um, via a doctor. And then, of course, you know, as importantly, um, stay informed and stay involved. And that's exactly why creakyjoints.org exists. That's why arthritispower.org is an app uh, for folks to, to use for free. And that's why 50statenetwork.org is available for folks in Florida and throughout the country to become more active in these uh, policies and regulation processes. 
So thanks for the indulgence on that, you know, triple plug just now. <laughs> but, no I, I, you know, I do think it, it leads, you know, the point is we need to know more, talk more, and do more about this subject that no one-hour discussion will ever do justice. But, Dr. Bill, I'm just so grateful that you've elected to host this conversation because it's such an important one, and you've raised many important points as well. Well, I think that uh, the the organization you formed is wonderful, and uh, I'm, I, again, I really like the website. I want you to put some pictures on there so that people have a better understanding of what it is to live with this disease. Uh, I also think that, uh, as we were talking about the research aspect of this, that you need to go after a specific target uh, group that could benefit financially as well as uh, provide medical uh, breakthroughs in this area. And I think the university is a good place to start, but again, you got to go after the funding and, and to say, well, it's difficult because it's a Schedule One. that's not the problem. The problem is what we've been discussing for the past hour. Uh, so it, it can be done, and I encourage you guys to go after this, you know, full force. And and Seth, you've got this organization, and apparently you have some funding for this, so you should be able to uh, probe a little bit into the into the pharmaceutical community and see if there is anybody out there that would have an interest in in doing this with you. Uh, and 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 you can do it. I mean, you've already done a great job with your website and your organization. So I, I would say go after it, man. You know, don't don't hold back. Definitely. And, you know, and, and, you know, when people invoke big pharma, uh, you know, I like to remind them of the advances that the, these folks have made. And, um, you know, the scientists and, 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 and uh, researchers at pharmaceutical companies have figured out how, like we've been talking about before, how to reprogram your body and how to, you know, trick your immune system and, and things like that. And that will always Trump the, you know, um, secondary or complementary effects of, you know, a, a, a plant matter like uh, marijuana. And so there is uh, room for both, basically, is what I'm saying. You can address the biology of the disease with these biologics and these, these advanced therapies, and you should, because if you don't, you're at great uh, medical risk. Um, but then, um, you know, you can potentially explore symptom relief and address some of the other issues that um, medicine might fall short in helping with uh, some of these uh, co complementing uh, therapies like marijuana or THC. So there's room for both. And, and um, as a society, we, we have to evolve and we have to recognize this. And to your uh, repeated point, Dr. Bill, and it's a good one, um, you know, industry has to come to the table and industry has to come to the table because um, you know, there has to be a money trail that satisfies the both supply and demand sure. uh, sides of the curve here when it comes to this, this specific of, issue. Of course. So. Of course. I mean, if there's no if there's no demand for it uh, financially, then the suppliers aren't going to be there. And then you're going to end up with what we have already, which is basically an unregulated industry of of uh, of uh, a schedule one, schedule two drug that uh, has a lot of potential for damage to society and especially to young people, as you know, to the adolescent sure. population. Absolutely. Uh, that, so let me, let me just stress this one more time. It's super important. Please do all those listening with an interest in this subject. Talk 
to your doctor. Talk to your doctor about this for yourself. Um, This is a conversation we're starting here, but it's a conversation you, the listeners, have to continue at home and in your doctor's office because that's where the conversation belongs right now so that you can live your best life and be as healthy as possible. And that's why, you know, that's what we want of you for, you know, at Creaky Joints and, and why we're happy to start the conversation on your behalf. Well, the other part that I would make is that uh, marijuana, cannabinoids, these are pharmaceuticals that interact with other drugs that you may be on from your doctor. And so it's important, not only from the perspective of your gestalt, your total uh, medical well-being, but also we need to know if you're taking something that's interacting with something else. And I see this all the time. People take stuff over the counter and they don't have any idea what it's doing to their therapeutic medications that I've prescribed. So that is important. Well, we're getting towards the end of the show, and I just wanted to push my antifungal toenail gel, and you can get that from our office at 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411, and this stuff works. I'm using it. My toenail fungus is almost gone. This stuff is miraculous. Give me a call, and we'll get you some right away. I am Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Thanks for being with me, guys. Love everybody, and I'll see you next week. I'm out of here. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.